0: Are you new to investing, wondering whether or not you can self-manage your properties? Let us tell you about Rent Ready. Rent RentReady is a really awesome property management software that can help you grow and handle every aspect of your real estate business. Rent collection, tenant screening, maintenance, lease signing, listing. Honestly, it has everything. Yeah. How long do you think we've been using Rent Ready for ourselves? About five
1: months. Yeah. About five months. It's been awesome. We do use their push notification system to send notifications to tenants. We collect rent, from our tenants right through the app and we're actually about to use their new feature their 24-7 maintenance software called Latchel and a latchel will allow you to remove yourself as the landlord as the middleman between your tenants and maintenance calls so the tenants can directly call a maintenance line and they will dispatch contractors right to the property
0: we should also mention that rent ready is unlimited all their plans are flat price this essentially means you can keep adding properties to your portfolio without having to pay more. You can close on all the properties you want and Rent Ready's price stays the same. The best part is Rent Ready's given us an amazing deal to pass on to our weekly juice listeners. You guys, everyone listening can get 50% off a Rent Ready plan at rentready.com when you use our code juicepod. That's r e n t r e d i .com with code juicepod. J-U-I-C-E-P-O-D at rentready.com and you can get 50% off any plan. If this is your first time here, welcome. During our shows, we interview successful entrepreneurs and investors to spread knowledge, advice, and actionable tactics to help others in the pursuit of financial freedom. We discuss successes, failures, systems, motivations, experiences, and key lessons learned along the way in the hopes that these stories help you along your journey. Tune in every Wednesday to get your weekly juice. If you've been here before and like what you've been hearing, please subscribe, share with friends, rate and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That goes an extremely long way for us. It's simple. Just click on your podcast app, type in our podcast name, The Weekly Juice, click on the reviews and let us know what you think. The more ratings we get, the more eyes we'll get on our show. And in turn, we'll be able to provide you all with high quality guests. You can also find us on Instagram at Weekly Juice for daily content and personal finance tips to assist in your journey towards financial freedom. back to The Weekly Juice. As always, Ryan and Corey here with another episode for you. Today, we have on special guest, Anna Klein. She is a 100% virtual certified public accountant that specializes in working with real estate investors and small businesses across the US. She was... A wealth of knowledge or, or shared a wealth of knowledge with us in the episode. And we dove into tax deductions, tax write-offs, how to one can write off their meals, their car, their certain expenses within their business, and just overall gave us some um, gave some tips and tricks on how to run our business.
1: Yeah. Taxes are kind of complicated. And like I think that the the general person doesn't know a lot about them. I think in the episode you saw that you and I were like asking questions. Specifically, like, because we, we really wanted to know. And Anna had the answers. And I think that this episode can be used as an educational episode on the tax benefits of real estate investing in general. And I think that's pretty powerful. We're going to, we told her we're going to point people back to this episode. And it really did live up to the hype of just like, how does it benefit you being a real estate investor and, uh, you know, having your taxes at the end of the year, keeping good books? Uh, she has a cool story. And um, I think we should dive in.
0: Let's do it. All right. Well, Anna officially welcome to the weekly juice podcast. We are thrilled to have you here. Corey and I have heard a lot about you. You've, you've been, your praises have been sung high. So we're thrilled to have you on the show and and here's your official welcome.
2: Thank you so much. I pay those people a lot of money to say really good things about me. So I'm glad that it's paying off. Thanks so much, Ryan and Corey. I appreciate you.
0: Absolutely. So if you could give a brief background on who you are, where you're from, and then what you specialize in.
2: Absolutely. So I'm a virtual CPA that specializes in helping real estate investors minimize their tax liability. So essentially work with anyone across the country. Um, I designed my firm to be that way since day one, five years ago, because I wanted to be able to a never be stuck in one place. And I wanted to be able to travel anywhere um, and work, right. That's kind of the, the best of both worlds, but also Real estate is what I love and what I breathe, so I wanted to be able to help clients in that specific niche. Um, I think that the you need you you can't be a jack of all trades. You need to be specific on what you know and what you love, and that's why I became like want to be the best CPA in real estate.
1: What about being a CPA? Like, what what? Why did you gravitate towards that? I'm curious. Like, was it anything about your upbringing or what you studied in school? (laughs) Like, what's the how'd you get to where you are in terms of being a CPA?
2: Yeah. So my mom was a CPA and my dad's a financial advisor. So I was like, Oh, what else should I do? Here I am.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Got it. Got it.
0: That's cool. And then what made you gravitate towards real estate? You said that's your bread and butter, but um, I'm guessing maybe you're an investor or where's the love there?
2: Yeah. So I have one property. I flipped one property, didn't even know I was, you know, prior to me knowing we're flipping a property, I did that. It was a live and flip. But the reason why I gravitated to this was because when I started my business, I was really just taking anybody who would come and trust me, right? Like anybody. And then people fell in my lap who were real estate investors. And I was in shock how little in taxes they paid compared to my high net worth earners, such as attorneys, um, dentists. And I was like, what is going on here? So I was like, I need to know everything about this. So that's when I learned how amazing the tax code is for a business owners and B real estate investors. That I was like, okay, let me, let me learn everything. And I didn't even know that my grandpa is a huge real estate investor in Mexico. I had no idea. So then I went back and I'm like, why did you always take us on vacation? Why didn't you ever work? And he's like, "Anna, I'm a real estate investor. I'm like, Oh, that makes sense. So like, it was already embedded in me. I just didn't know.
0: It's in your blood. Love that. Yeah, that's great. So there's a lot of different talks about CPA, right? And I hear regular CPA and virtual CPA. And I'm thinking like, when I think virtual I think just someone like not on a computer like not a real person like can you explain the difference between a regular CPA and a virtual CPA and then you know maybe what speed bumps you've had to incur working in multiple different states
2: Yeah so you are providing us all your information via the internet right no matter how much how much security we have if Chase can get hacked AKK in Wisconsin has a possibility of getting hacked right so I think that was a pushback from clients saying I you know, I, I don't even know you. They're so used to coming to an office and talking to me. And it was my job to make sure to be like, guys, time is money. We don't need to be in an office and waste your time and my time to tell me everything I need. Everything can be done online. Um, so it, I don't get a lot of pushback anymore. Um, But it really comes down to a preference of the client. I just had a client who was in Hawaii and we worked and he said, you know what, at the end of the day, I feel more comfortable with the CPA being down the road. Totally a preference. Um, But anything can be done virtual now. So now clients don't mind. Um, We have texting capabilities. So time is money. So I'm like, if you have a question, let's go. So that's my motto behind it.
1: It's actually interesting. COVID has probably, well, I don't want to speak for your total business, but it probably has helped you virtually, right? Like the uh, the accessibility and also the acceptance of that being part of how you do business, right?
2: Absolutely. COVID is, you know, obviously a horrible thing that has happened for people. But I think in, in this scenario, people are now are more open to having things virtually, whether it's an attorney, whether it's a CPA, your real, whatever it is, I think people are more open to it. And honestly, all I say is that if you're not going to be open to technology, you're going to fall behind on anything. This is where the world is now.
0: Great. That's absolutely
1: right. Yeah, totally true. I'm wondering what you feel like some of the um, kind of value propositions that you bring to your clients that maybe you feel like could separate your organization and why you think that your clients have success working with you.
2: I think the number one thing is, we do tax planning. So tax preparation and tax planning are two totally different things. And I think recently in the last couple of years, people really started to know what the difference is. Um, The tax preparation is you give me your information, here's how much you owe, Ryan and Corey, good luck, right? And I think people are so used to that process that they're like, well, what's tax planning? And this is a huge thing. When I tell clients, I'm like, okay, let me tell you something, the IRS, is there for you to play the game it's like the rules are there if you're not playing it don't be mad at your cpa be mad at yourself for not having some great cpa behind you to help you play this game so that's what we're here for we do tax prep which is great but at the end of the day there's nothing i can do for you in april for your 2020 return right? We need to talk at the fourth quarter to go over, okay, Ryan, you're going to owe 10 grand. So what do you need to do? Like don't come at me in February and be mad at me. Like be mad at yourself. I tell my clients a lot of time, like be mad at yourself. And I think number two, I'm so honest to the point where it's like, I'm not here to sugarcoat. It. I don't care if you like me, this is the truth. You'd either like it or you don't. And if you don't like that, you need to go with somebody else.
1: That makes a lot of sense. I th- I, I just noticed. And the value that I take from the CPA that I use is like in the last three or four years, because we're real estate investors, I've realized like, wow, I'm I would pay this guy any amount of money that he needed because I keep tight books. But I'm like, as you stack the properties up, it's so valuable to have someone on your team who's looking out for your money, besides not, not you know who understands the tax codes and the laws and everything. And uh, I know a lot of people have feel like they can do their own taxes. For me, it's like. I don't even want to touch it. Like, I don't even want to come close to it. This
0: opens up a huge can of worms, right? Like I'm thinking about a few different things. First off is like, you mentioned tax planning and I'm upset because I'm now a real estate investor and I'm just thinking about, okay, I send all my paperwork and here's what I owe at the end of the year. Here's what I'm getting back. And now I'm sure listeners are thinking the same thing is like, wow, you can work hand to hand with someone and you can prep for the next year and know that your money's getting funneled in the right buckets. And it's not a financial advisor or a planner. Like it's a, it's essentially you have a tax planner, right? Like you're kind of blowing my mind with that. Um, even though it might seem so basic. And so I'm also thinking you probably have a ton of rebuttals or answers to this, but like what's, why should someone go with someone like you versus a Turbo tax company or one of those branded companies out there where they can just log in and enter their information. Like what are the benefits of having a, a like a hand
2: to hand CPA? Yeah. I think you bring on a great point that I just think that tax planning is just something that's not that people don't talk about unless you educate yourselves. So I think to your point, and then I'll get to your answer um, is you can't be mad at us, right? You can, you can only be mad at yourself for not educating. And I don't mean it to you. I with all due respect, but it's like, you can only be mad at yourself just like I am for not educating myself. And the fact that the IRS, the internal revenue code is there to be played with. Um, so it's good that people, and that's why I try to educate whether they go with me or another real estate CPA, like education is key. Um, so that I'll stop about that. Um, why should you come to a CPA and not h and Block? Let me tell you why you should go to H&R Block or TurboTax. If you have a W-2 uh, job and you do some trading, do not do, once you get to Bitcoin, please don't even try. I don't I don't even know what that, you need a CPA. If you have a W-2, you have student loan interest and you don't own any properties, you don't have a side business, it is so much, it's, the truth is it's cheaper to go with h and Block and it literally, dumb proof, walks you through everything. You can do that. As soon as you have a side business or um, you have rental properties and clients ask me this all the time like, Well, why should I use you? Because you're significantly more expensive than HR block. And all I ask them is, Why are you calling me then? There's a reason why. Like, I don't need to prove to you why you need to use it because then you would have just used it. But the reason, and it's not to sound rude, but it's like there's a if I could just be my own realtor, I wouldn't call my own realtor, right? But I don't know what the hell I'm doing. So um, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. So it's like, I I wouldn't do that. So number one thing is basis of your depreciation when you're in real estate. 99.9% of the time, people don't know how to calculate the depreciation. And I have seen so many tax returns this year where people miss depreciation. And they're like, oh, I had no idea because I did it myself. I'm like, okay, well, or they do it with other accountants who don't know real estate.
1: I think that's a (laughs) really good point and kind of a great segue into the next topic because we want to talk about all the benefits That you, the show is going to be looked at for us and our listeners, I think as like a, what are some of the tax benefits that you can get as a real estate investor broken down as simply as you can, as you can put them to us. So you mentioned depreciation. Can you explain depreciation for in layman's terms and how that works uh, at, you know, at the end of the year when, when performing your taxes?
2: Yes. Depreciation is a phantom expense, meaning it's a non-cash expense, but it's this amazing expense that decreases your income for your rental properties. So for example, let's say you are, you have really good records and you know that at the end of the year, your property is going to cap net after all expenses, let's say $5,000, but now you have depreciation. So now that depreciation calculated could take that $5,000 to perhaps maybe even a negative um, uh, loss on your return. Therefore, you don't have decreasing your taxable income. So it's a phantom expense that you need to take advantage of because people think that, and I'm getting really in detail of this, but if you don't take it, you're losing on that deduction that it's literally right there and free. And when you sell your property, you have to pay what it's called depreciation recapture meaning you have to pay taxes on the depreciation that you should have taken whether you take it or not the court cases really people are like well i'm not going to panic because i didn't take it and it's like well no you just didn't take it but you still have to pay on what you should have taken
1: i got it so maybe you could explain what are some items that you that go into the actual depreciation like of a property i think that's important for people to to know because i want to i want to frame it um, kind of numbers wise, it sounds like what you're saying is that if you, let's just say somebody made a hundred thousand dollars in a year, the depreciation, if you show on a specific property, a $3,000 loss, you would actually only get taxed on $97,000, right? Based on that loss. Like, and correct me if I'm wrong. I just, I just wanted to make sure I understand like the specifics of what goes into depreciation?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So let's just say, for example, you have a property that cash flows um, $5,000, let's say. Okay. And let's just say for lame terms, let's just be very um, boring on the, the basis of your depreciation will be $100,000. Now that is not the cost that you paid there are a lot of things that go into the basis from your closing disclosure i don't want to bore you with the details but now let's say we divide that by 27 and a half okay so that's thirty six hundred dollars phantom expense that you're going to be able to take from your five thousand dollar um income so now instead of having Having to add that five thousand dollars to your W two, you're now only adding thirteen hundred dollars.
1: Got it. Yep. Okay. Makes perfect sense. So it's like, so if you know you add up those properties over, you know, five, six, seven, eight, you have ten properties. You're really, your own. That's why people are paying what you said so little amount of taxes in the real estate investing game. So it's it's uh it's really cool. I. Go
0: ahead, right? Yep. I have a couple. So can you explain what a write-off is? We hear this all the time. It's like, oh, business <laughs> owner writes off his car, writes off his um travel, writes off his meals. Like, what, what is a write-off and how do they work?
2: Sure. So to get into this question, it's a great question because I always say, tell clients or anybody, it's like when you're a W-2 earner and that's all you have. Uncle Sam tells you how much he's gonna take from your paycheck, right? So you're like, yay, I'm getting paid on the 15th, but too bad because um, he already took his money, right? As business owner or real estate investors, we tell the IRS what we're gonna be taxed on. Why? Because I, at the end of the year, when I do my tax planning, I'm gonna write off things. And even throughout the year that are legitimate, that's going to decrease how much I'm going to pay to the IRS. So. Write-offs are deductions that are ordinary and necessary for your business. I always give this example um, of, let's say, for example, me, let's say, you know, I have my own firm, blah, 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 and I want to go to Miami. So I'm going to make sure I find a way to make that trip deductible and make it a write-off. Okay. Okay you're a W2 earner, you can't do that. There's You just have to pay for it. So these write-offs come in really nice. The car write-off is something that's blowing up on TikTok lately. People are always like, oh, let me get this AMG G-Wagon, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Wait, I was going to
0: ask you that. That's hilarious. (laughs) Is there something behind that? It has to be 6,000 pounds. Can you explain, please?
2: Yeah, let me see. So you can get a G-Wagon. (laughs) Because I want one too, right? No, we all do. Who Who doesn't? Who doesn't? So, yes. So let's... It has to be a necessary expense, right? There's a gray line. I always say, let's have some receipts behind it to make sure that it makes sense. But yes, if it's over 6,000 pounds, which I think Teslas, which don't get me, don't get mad at me. I hate Teslas. I think they're hideous, but they're amazing. But I think Teslas are over 6,000 pounds. You can write that off 100% with Section 179 and bonus if it's over 6,000 pounds. So I think the G Wagon is over 6,000 pounds. So if it's a necessary expense, You can do that. I have a friend who writes off his Ferrari because he uses it as a prop. He's a YouTuber. Makes sense.
1: That's actually pretty crazy. Hold on. You're talking about pounds as in like the actual weight of it. And how does that even play a factor of why you can write it off? I don't
2: understand. I actually honestly don't know who made this 6,000 pound rule, but I was just working on a client return and it was a Tahoe. That did not meet the 6,000 pound gross whatever. I don't, I'm not a car person. So like, I don't know what it was, but I don't know who ruled the 6,000 pound rule, but if it's over 6,000 pounds can write it off. Can
1: you explain the write-off like the actual, like what that means in terms of what you get back is you by writing it off. Is it a percentage of it that you get back in taxes at the end of the year? And
0: I have an example that might help you paint it. Let's use the G wagon. Cause we have it right. Say the, say the car is just flat out hundred thousand dollars and mm-hmm. you want to buy it new how can you go through that process of writing it off and like tie in what a write-off is to it?
2: Right. So you don't, I think that's a really great question, Ryan, because people think that, Oh, well, I'm going to write off 50,000. So I'm going to get 25,000 back. That's not how it works. So essentially what your net income is. So let's say at the end of the year, my net income is $500,000 after all expenses, I'm going to have to pay almost 35% on that, right? So I'm like, how am I going to bring this down? So you're not necessarily getting money back. You just need to bring that $500,000 as much as I can. So I'm going to go get myself a G wagon so I can make it from 500 to 400. I'm not going to get money back because you're not supposed to get money back from the IRS. You're just supposed to tell them, you know what, instead of paying you on 500,000, I'm only going to pay you on 400 and I'm going to get myself a G wagon. So it's, does that make sense? So it yeah. does sort yeah, of, does. so there's
0: a couple of things with it is like a lot of people, they'll say, Oh, well, I can just write that off. Like at what point can you even start writing off things in your business? And it's not like I'm able to write off that hundred thousand dollars, right? Isn't it only like a certain percentage of it based on income and all that?
2: So of course. Okay. So let's go to the extreme. You're not going to be, you're not going to start your business as an Instagram influencer and make $2,000 in 2021 and go buy yourself a G wagon. Okay. That's a huge red flag, but when you have a business and you're actually running it as a business, it's not a hobby. You can start writing off things that are necessary for the business, whether it's a G wagon. I'm not also, let me clarify. do not go buy a G wagon. Please go talk to your accountant. They'll come for me. (laughs) Um, anything that's necessary for your business. So let's say I need a new computer, right? I'm not going to go get the $500 computer since I need it. I'm going to go get the $3,000 computer because I can write that off against my income. Um, So there isn't really a rule. It's just if you need it and it's a necessary and ordinary expense for your business, once you have a business or once you're in real estate, you can start writing off, meaning buying things, to deduct it, to reduce your income as much as possible legally.
1: Got it. So it's all about reducing your taxable income and what you can show so that at the end of the year, you are not going to owe as much as you would if you were just at working as a W-2 employee with none of these business ownership benefits, essentially, is what you're saying.
2: Correct. And a really good example is like Grant Cardone. He always talks about his private jet and how he's able to deduct it. He needs it because he's traveling. And he's like, instead of me getting on a freaking plane and waiting three hours, he goes and buy a $1 million plane. And let's say his net income was 2 million. Well, I just bought a $1 million plane. Now my taxable income went from 2 million to 1 million and I bought a plane. So you are gonna owe taxes. Like that. this isn't the, I mean, yes, it's awesome when we don't owe, but when you have a successful business, you will owe taxes. Let's just find ways to reduce that income.
0: That's a good distinction because I'm thinking about it right now. And like, there's some people right there, beginning, inve- beginner investors here, or maybe they just have a W2. They don't, they're not even investors at all. Say they make a hundred grand and they get a a return of like a couple thousand bucks, whatever, two, $3,000. We're flipping it on the other side and saying as a business, you're not like, you really shouldn't expect to receive anything back. You're always expecting to pay. You're just trying to pay the least amount by writing off more. Right.
2: Correct. That's exactly correct. So when, when people look at, I know like last year, there was a huge thing about our um, prior president Trump, like not paying. I was going
1: to mention this cause yes. I, I was, yeah, go ahead.
2: I can't remember how much they said he paid. They
1: said he nine. paid, they said he paid $175 in taxes. And okay. I think the, the, the country was up in arms. I'm not indicting any, I, you know, I wasn't personally, I didn't, like the president, but like, this has nothing to do with that. Like
2: right? people didn't understand,
1: people didn't understand why. And I knew in the back of my head, I was like, it's because of his real estate. Like that's the reason why go ahead. I didn't mean to
2: real estate. No, no, no. That's, that's literally, I always bring up this example because I'm like, whoever his CPA is, like I want to like learn from this person, but let's keep in mind that the internal revenue code, like he didn't create it. This has been in place forever. And I tell clients all the time, who do you think writes this? It's not the W2 worker at McDonald's and I'm not knocking anyone down. It's the high net worth earners who are up there being like, "Hmm, how can I benefit from this and write these rules so that I don't have to pay taxes?" Now, if you as a, an American taxpayer don't have enough, don't have someone in your back corner to help you, that's not their problem. But I'm getting So it's selfish. It's it's horrible to say this and I don't want to come off saying, but that's the reality we live in. Be mad at your account. Be mad at yourself actually, not even your accountant.
0: You keep you keep do saying be you keep saying be mad at yourself, but essentially what you mean by that is like you need to use your time and energy to dive into these resources that are available, right? Like you need to start learning to play the game, if not the game's going to play you. And exactly. to go off that
1: right. I totally totally agree. What I think what you're saying on it, Anna is that the this, this is the way it is, regardless if you like it or not, right? Somebody, had, had, somebody has made the decision to make these laws and make these rules, and you might as well be on one side of it versus the other side. And I totally agree with you. The reason why I feel personally, and I, I don't know this to be fact, but the reason why I feel personally that real estate is going to continue to be a great investment forever is because the wealthiest people in the world who control the tax codes and control are in government own real estate, and they're never going to do something that goes against themselves. So why not be on the right side of the game? And that's just kind of how I, I see it.
2: <laughs> 100%, because let me give you a perfectly good example of why. And and yes, I don't I don't mean to say like, oh, like be mad at yourself. Like I'm mad at myself if I don't educate myself on Bitcoin. Like I'm not going to be mad at, I'm mad at myself for not making you know thousands. Like I can't be mad at somebody else. But here's a perfectly good example and why you should edu- invest your time in learning. Now, you don't need to be a CPA. You just need to have someone who knows what they're doing. But I'm not a golfer but there's this like amazing golf outing in augusta georgia or something correct me if i'm wrong okay well let me tell you about this super twist. The, quick... the master see yeah someone always knows i'm not <laughs> a golfer i just go to drink and i'm like okay i'm here um okay so they made this rule it's a it's not a loophole it's literally written in the internal revenue code that These senators, what they were doing, they call it the Augusta loophole. What these senators were doing is people were coming and renting their houses, right? And I'm sure these houses went for thousands and thousands of dollars a day um, when they had this. So they lobbied to have, if they could rent it for less than 14 days, they could just not include it in in their income. Well, that's a rule. So if you rent your pres- your personal residence for less than 14 days, you don't have to include that. So a good example is the DNC was supposed to happen here in Milwaukee. Houses were going for like $2,000 a night. I call my mom I'm like, mom, rent your house for less than 14 days. Give me half of it because I'm giving you a tax benefit and you don't have to include that in your income. So it's these people who are so wealthy making the rules.
1: We, Ryan, I, <laughs> let's just give you a, disclaimer. Ryan looked at me and he goes, Airbnb.
2: <laughs> I was like, so
1: is that is that the case for Airbnb if you rent if you rent out for... No,
2: this is your personal residence or Got your it. second. Okay. So once it's an investment, it's an investment.
1: I was
0: going okay. to say, holy, yes. yeah! Like, yeah
2: we're, no, we're, in the
1: wrong, no. we're in the long-term rental game. We're yeah. in the
0: Travis, my man in Florida, is killing it. Yeah, so, he is killing it. But we're, um, before we get too deep into the episode and, and into the benefits of the tax benefits of real estate, which we will, can you talk about the different tax brackets so that way we can at least give people a little bit of a picture of what they might be spending each year. If they're a business owner or um, even vice versa, just a W two job, like where everybody might fall.
2: So So let's just say we're all married living our best life because on married it's different brackets for married and unmarried. Right. So let's go with married. Um, If you make less than $19,000, you're going to pay zero 10%. Right. So it goes 10, 12, 22, 24, 32, 35, 37. And I'm reading this because I don't have this memorized. Okay. 37% is ones you make over $622,000. Okay.
1: And this is federal, right? You're just, this, this is, is federal. just a, yep. Got yeah. It.
2: Because it states a very safe. I say you have, Florida has no income tax. Um, but the way that this works, you guys, is that it's, It's a marginal rate. So meaning, let's say you make $80,000. So the first 19,000 is taxed at 10%, okay? Anything over the 19,000 gets taxed at 12% and so on and so forth. So just because you make $622,000 doesn't mean the whole thing is gonna be taxed at 37. It's anything over the threshold of each single bracket. So everybody starts with 10, blah, blah, blah.
0: That is incredible for you to bring up. So thank you because I can't I tell you that. how many times I'll be at work when we're but, And <clears throat> maybe you get, um, in sales, right? There's commission attached things. So if you have a killer month, people are like, Oh, I'm going to be taxed so much. This sucks. And then people I've heard people literally stray away from getting raises because they think they're going to be in a higher tax bracket and they're going to, Oh, I'm not even going to make that money anyway. So there's no point. So can you just repeat that once again? Like what marginal means and how that affects people because this is people should tune in right now and listen to this.
2: Yes. So, the way the tax brackets work is that let's say you make $80,000. The first $19,750 will be taxed at 10%. Anything over the $19,750 will be taxed at 12%, and so on and so forth as you move past the tax brackets. Meaning if you make, let's go on the high end, $622,000, the entire thing is not going to be taxed at 37%. It's anything over 167,000 that will be taxed at the
1: 37%. Makes perfect sense. And this people is why you hire a CPA as opposed to trust yourself to do it. Cause like <laughs> for me, it's like, I need to pay somebody who knows what they're doing. Cause I don't want well, to leave that up to chance. And talk How about, about those memes about, uh, about, um, the ta- about tax season where it's like, I, I forget. It's like, uh, you know, exa- the IRS knows exactly how much you're supposed to pay, but you're oh, supposed yes. to guess. And then if you don't, you go to jail. And it's like this whole thing. It's like, just pay the CPA. I saw that you. on TikTok. Yeah, that's so yeah. funny.
0: And then it's a whole new world to realize you can, you can go through tax planning and it's not like, Oh, at the end of the year, I'm just hoping, wishing that I'm going to have a couple thousand bucks coming back to me. It's like, you can set yourself up, three hundred sixty four days early and and plan it out so especially if
1: you know that rental income yeah like what what you're going to be making off your properties it's easier to plan like can i say
2: something about that really quick because the biggest thing with tax planning is your tax records or not tax but your records right so clients will come to me and say okay let's do tax planning like okay well where's your p l where's your balance sheet like, wait, what? I'm like, okay, well, I can't pull numbers. Like I need good tax records in order for me to help you. So that's why when you become a real estate investor or have a business, you need to treat it as a business. This isn't a joke. This is a business that can save you thousands of dollars, but I need good records. I get so passionate about this because I tell clients all the time and it's like, I can save you money if you have good records.
1: Right. I I feel your pain on that. I'm like ridiculously anal about the, about, Keeping like P and L and cash flow sheets and numbers, but I feel at the end of the year when I hand it to my accountant, he's like, "Oh, this is already done." Like, all, you know, like you're I incredible have, with it, dude. I have it done. like, account, like the fees per month, accounting placement fees, like what whatever the the fees are, marketing, you know, um, repairs, maintenance, capital capital expenditures, like all of that in there is, and it's just like so much easier hand over at the end of the year. So.
0: And as a CPA, do you have a program that you advise your clients to use? Like we use Excel and things like that, but like, um, what's the, uh, QuickBooks. I've heard a couple of different programs, mm-hmm. but like, is there one that you write one or two you might recommend that someone use to keep your life a little bit easier?
2: Yeah, so I recommend Stessa. That's what I use for my properties. Um, It's so easy. It's free as long as and it's garbage in, garbage out. As long as you put the numbers in right, that would do. So for rental properties, I think Stessa is the best. Now, when you get into flipping, um, that's when I do recommend QuickBooks because Mm -hmm. there are more transactions. If you really think about it, buy and holds. What do you have? Just Mortgage interest, taxes. I mean, the transactions are very minimal. But once you're wholesaling, once you're flipping, I do recommend having something like QuickBooks that would uh, make things easier for you and me.
0: Cool. So, Stessa or QuickBooks, um, let's dive all in on real estate right now. Let's transition to that. Corey's been ready. He's like, by next we're year. in, I think. So, we're, we're in, but <laughs> can you talk about? I know you went from a different, a couple of different strategies, buy and hold, flip et cetera. Like, can you talk about some of the deductions that you can actually take? Let Corey and I will give you an example. We're going through a uh, renovation right now. Right. And we're thinking it might be between 50 and $60,000. There's going to be a lot of different things we need to purchase. Right. What are, what can we write off or what deductions can we take on, on this 60,000, 50, 60,000 um, that we're putting in?
2: So that's a really great question because when it comes to renovations, 90% of the time, most of the renovations will be capital expenditures. So what's a capital expenditure? That is depreciated over 27 and a half years, meaning it gives you zero deduction, right? So what I recommend in your guys' situation, again, I don't know your numbers, but doing a cost segregation study, they're not that expensive. So that allows you to break up this whole $60,000 into not just me depreciating it over 27 and a half, but saying, Hey, maybe I did um, the flooring, maybe that's $2,000. So when you do a big rehab, I do recommend being very detailed of it cost me 10,000 for the kitchen. Maybe you're only replacing one window, but you're grouping it all together. The window cost you $500. I'm grouping it all in the 60 grand. So these, th- it does get complicated and there's not really like a, a, an answer for this. It's just have really good records, talk to your CPA in advance to see if it can be a repair. We want it to be a repair versus a capital expenditure.
1: I got, okay. Make sure I want to make sure that I'm understanding this. The capital expenditures, a roof, an AC system, something of that nature is part of the depreciation that you can depreciate over 27 and a half years. So not always, that, huh, not always. Not always. Oh, I thought I had it. I really did. Because but the repairs are taxable uh, deductions. Uh, deductions.
2: Yes and no. That's always like the oh, answer. Was that. Okay. Because... Okay. <laughs> I <just> got ruined. <laughs>
0: but, I mean, that, it sounded pretty good.
2: Uh, it, 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 no, that's the the answer for all IRS questions. Well, it depends. Okay. Yeah, it depends, so right? <laughs> it depends. So let's say for the roof, that's a, a really good example. Let's say you're not replacing the entire roof. Let's just say you're doing a corner of the roof. What the what um what differentiates from a capital expenditure and actual repair is are you making the is it a betterment to the property? Right? If you're just replacing the corner of a roof, that's just a repair. But if you're replacing the entire roof because there's something wrong with it, well, then that's in the capital expenditure. What if you have a triplex and you're only replacing one of the HVAC systems? I would take the position that it's not a capital expenditure. It's just a repair. So this is where tax planning comes in handy because maybe at the end of the year, you guys are netting $10,000 and I'm like, hey, maybe you should, you're like, yeah, I should. I've been meaning to replace the HVAC system. I'm like, all right, it's a perfectly good time, but only replace one, don't replace all three. Cause it's an expense, not a capital expenditure.
1: We just did that, but we did it in, it came into 2021. So it'll be next it was in year. a
0: duplex and we have to yeah, do the other it, one. So if we talked to Anna, she could have told us how to do it.
2: And, it, and it's really just having someone, and, and you know, is it going to save you a lot of money? No, but it's like when you start scaling your portfolio, it does make sense to be like, Hey Anna, you know, I'm trying to do this. What's the best way. But this is a perfectly good way for me to tell people that it's, this is why you pay H and R block hundred dollars and you don't pay CPAs. You pay them $200 an hour. Like it's not. So you see the difference because H and R block is not going to tell you what to do.
1: Yeah. Like hands-on advice. And I totally see the value in it. hundred percent. I've already said that, but that's cool to
0: know. It's about, but an average way, not average wage, but like average charge would be about $200 an hour.
2: Um, I'd say that's on the low end. Um, I definitely have, um, actually my coach who is more experienced. I won't say how much he is, but he's a lot more than that, but it's worth every penny and he's a CPA as well.
0: Got it. Cause you're going to get a lot in an hour anyways. So
2: exactly. And that's That's what you work with. Like
0: a lawyer, like I tell
2: clients. Yeah. I I know I hate to be like an attorney, but I'm like, that's how we are.
0: Yep. I get it. It actually totally makes sense to me. Um, okay. Can you explain what a few, we already kind of talked about this, but like, Someone comes to us, Ryan and Corey, hey, can you give us some tips and tricks for a buy and hold real estate investor? Like, how can I leverage my taxes to benefit me at the end of the year? What would you tell them?
2: Okay. So it always depends. If you come back with the depends, because if you make less than $150,000, your adjusted gross income is less than $150,000. That's the threshold. Okay. If you make less than $150,000, you're gonna be able to deduct the losses on your properties. So in this case, what we wanna do, the strategy that we would want, is to make sure that we add a loss to your W-2 wage. So let's say you have a W-2 wage, you make 100,000 and you have three properties. The goal for this point is to make sure that now, all your rental properties add a loss, so your W-2 income goes from 100 to let's say 90,000, okay? However, Once you get over that $150,000 adjusted gross income and you have a W-2 job and you're not a real estate professional, you don't hit the real estate professional status per the IRS. Now those losses are not allowed. So now what we need to do is play the game so that none of the income gets added to your wages of $175,000.
0: Is this for a single person or a married person?
2: Everybody. It sucks. Have no idea why they haven't e- increased that number. It's always been 150. I'm like every when I say everybody, but that's a very easy number. Well, what's the threshold
1: there. of a real estate real estate professional? I'm curious. I've I haven't heard of that.
2: Okay. So the real estate professional status is the most um it's very what's a, litigated i think that's the word okay english is my second language so sometimes i think oh, really... you fooled us i mean <laughs> okay just wait i'll say something and you're like what did she say <laughs> uh, okay so so let's say you're over the 150 which is 90% of my clients right they have w2 jobs they have six properties and now they're like i have all these losses anna but i didn't know that it wasn't going to offset my w2 income well it doesn't You hold these losses for the future. They don't go away. But in order for you to qualify as a real estate professional status does not mean go get a real estate agent license. That means absolutely nothing. You need to meet these two tests. If you meet these two tests, then you can take all the losses unlimited. So you can take $100,000, whatever it is, okay? The two tests, they're very difficult. If you have a W-2 job, a full-time job, you pretty much can count yourself out of this. First, you have to spend more than one and a half of your time on your real estate trader business. Meaning if you work 2000 hours, you have to work 2001 hours impossible, unless you don't sleep. The second thing is that out of those 2000 hours, you have to spend 750 hours um, on your rental property. Complicated, very complicated for a W2 earner, mostly impossible to get to this. Most, um, I, um, court cases, um, I think like 5% of the taxpayer wins because people try to offset it and it doesn't work.
1: So you're saying essentially the way to be this is actually to be a real estate investor full-time. Like that's the only way to do it. That, or correct. the way that you're being qualified as a real estate professional,
2: correct? Yes. a Yes. Yes. It could be It, it could depends. Be a starter. It's a starter. <laughs> it depends.
0: Let's just say make $100,000. I have properties. Do I want to keep my properties, essentially the, the income under 50,000. So I don't hit that 150,000 mark where I can't depreciate or am I missing the.
2: Okay. So, so yes and no, because they will all aggregate together. So it's a little more complicated because like, let's say you have five properties that all aggregate aggregate together so that if you make a hundred thousand and you net 50,000 on your properties. Yeah. But, but that's, that's added, right? So the whole point is for us to have losses on the properties, which depreciation helps you. So we don't get to the hundred and fifty thousand.
0: Got it. Okay. I got it so now. Yep, that's awesome. I, I probably confused so. listeners on that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. If you're
1: still get, with, those. but
2: I get it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it, complicated.
1: We, yeah, we appreciate the uh, the explanation though. I kind of want to move into like the LLC protection and how you feel that having an LLC benefits real estate investors, or if it does, or if it doesn't, we've heard a number of things where you, a lot of investors that we we know have uh, an LLC for each property, right? I don't know that we are going to do that specifically or not. We haven't figured that out yet, but we know that we're going to have an umbrella LLC and then either group properties in specific LLCs, um, Um, you know, so on and so forth. So I'm curious, like, what are your thoughts on LLCs versus not and how you feel like they benefit real estate investors as it relates to tax?
2: Absolutely. That's like the number one question, I think, like the million dollar question. And I think people, there's a lot of wrong information. Okay. This is my opinion. I'm not an attorney. I always tell clients, please go seek attorney help. We do not do LLCs. Um, But from my personal experience and from speaking with other CPAs who are in the real estate industry, First of all, you do not need an LLC to go and go buy a property, okay? That's the number one thing. You can go buy a property, you can have write-offs without an LLC. LLCs are for asset protection only. But I spoke to an attorney in California a couple of months ago, and he said, at the end of the day, if you have some badass attorney, he's gonna get through those LLCs with no problem, right? So if they really want it, they're gonna come for it. Now, I have clients who have, I don't necessarily think your first property should be in an LLC. Like it doesn't matter if you're just, if you have no equity in this property and they come for you, the bank is going to take it first. You're personally guaranteeing the loan anyway. So like the asset is not owned by the LLC it's owned by Anna Klein, but I just created an LLC because that's what bigger pockets told me to do or not saying Bigger Pockets, but like, that's what someone told me to do, you know? So the fact that you're personally guaranteeing that loan negates the whole thing. However, I have clients who have, uh, one of my biggest clients has about 35 properties and they're all paid off. Their attorney, now I'm not saying this is right or not, this is what the attorney told them, every single property has an LLC, only because all the equity that's in them, they don't want them to come if they get sued by property A to come to property B, C, and D. So it really is speak to a good attorney and I can always send you guys who I use and they're real estate attorneys then know what they're doing and are not just going to sit here and sell you $800 just so that I can make $800 and you can have an LLC. Cause it doesn't work like that.
0: Right. We, thanks for that. We have an awesome attorney that said the same thing. Right. And he, he recommended, Hey, obviously for protection purposes, have one property in each LLC. So they can't jump into each other mm-hmm. and, and pull money. But also he said, it's amazing for your CPA. And my, my CPA said this as well, um, he's like, Hey, listen, man, like if you have these, each property in an LLC, it's so easy for me to file and like, see where everything is. Is that correct? Like, would you prefer to see everything this way or does it not matter?
2: It is true because you can have a, it's own bank account for every single property. The clients that I have that have deferencing uh, many properties don't have that. I don't do their accounting for them. We don't, we don't really do monthly accounting. I expect you guys to do it. Um, so for me, it doesn't matter because they're all going to get filed, they have they have the parent, kind of what you were saying, they have the parent and they're owned by that. So at the end of the day, for investment properties, you always have to itemize them regardless. But if you do good accounting, it doesn't matter if you have 8,000 LLCs or just one. I mean, you have to itemize them by property anyways.
1: Yeah, and I think that an important note to make for, because a lot of our the people that follow our show are rookie investors, is that I love what you said that you don't need an LLC to get started everyone, a lot of people spend time thinking about a, an LLC name and a business and getting business cards and all this. And it's like, just buy your first five properties without LLCs. Like it's not going to make that much of a difference. You don't have that much equity. If you want to put them in, pro, put them in LLCs later to protect them. Great. But until you start playing the game, you, you don't have anything to come after. And we still feel like we're in that boat where it's like, we have LLCs, but I don't think it's an essential piece that if I didn't have it, I wouldn't have started real estate, you know, in the real estate investing game. So I like, yeah. And I think,
2: yeah, I think it's like, it's like, I mean, I'm in that same boat where it's like, what are they going to come and get like, okay, cool. The bank has first dibs on this. Like you're going to take my car go ahead. You know, it's like, it's, it's, we got to think that way. Like, but let me continue to buy so that I need to continue to increase my wealth.
0: Awesome. We also have, listeners that maybe don't own properties yet right but they might have a personal residence can you explain the write-offs the differences between or um i guess not write-offs but the, the tax advantages of owning a personal residence and then the difference between owning a rental property like what what can they essentially write off like the int- i'm thinking about the interest on the property and that that kind of helps with your income overall
2: yeah, so actually, um, since 2018, what happened was that uh, the Tax and Jobs Cut Act, it doubled your standard your standard deduction. So what happened before was that if you had before having mortgage interest and taxes would help, nowadays, most of the clients that I have don't even qualify for that. So I would say owning your own home, I would always advise. Now that I'm a real estate investor, buy a duplex. Like, don't just own a single family because it literally gives you absolutely very little deduction. Um, if you don't qualify over, if let's say you're single, the standard deduction is twelve thousand four hundred. So, in order for you, your the mortgage interest and taxes to 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 help you, it has to be more than twelve thousand four hundred. And let's be honest, most people, most interest is like what four grand. And then like their taxes are three grand. So you're at seven grand. So like, thanks for paying interest to in the bank, but it gives you no tax deduction.
1: Got it. Very, it's That's uh, a good point and good to know. One of the things you said earlier that I, I thought I wanted to just go back on when you mentioned that you had a client that has paid off properties. It's true that when you have paid off properties, you can no longer depreciate, correct? So the depreciation only counts while you have the loan. Is that true or, or not necessarily? No
2: so that's that's not cool. I know absolutely
1: nothing about this. This is great. No, I'm glad you're on.
2: This is great because I think people have these questions all the time. And then they're like, I don't want to ask. Or like, I know. Oh no, you got the
1: right guys. We're asking everything.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm glad. So no, it has nothing to do with the fact that you have a loan or not. It's actually the purchase. Well, it's not really just the purchase price, but it's the purchase price and you get 27 and a half years. So you get 27 and a half years to depreciate, whether you have a loan or you just pay it off.
1: Okay, that makes sense. So, I guess what I was thinking is that if you do pay it off in that after the 30-year time frame, it doesn't matter because it's after the 27 and a half years, but it, paying it off early doesn't hurt you in any way. Correct. Got right, it.
2: you're just got not it. paying the interest and in getting that interest deduction, but you can depreciate it for 27 and a half years.
0: Okay. Cool. Now I got it. So, I want to run it back to write-offs again and not not to Go too far back but like at what point let's you know corey and i have a couple properties together like at what point can we start writing off meals potentially i want to know when i can write my damn car off to be honest like at what point uh, like, skip the meals, like just when yeah, yeah. can meals. i get, get out of here with the, screw meals. the meals let's just
2: talk car. when yeah, can i get this out of my bank man i just want that g-wagon
0: so bad <laughs> i swear to god i'll have it me one too that's one day you will you totally will
2: um Okay, that's a great question. So the answer is always, when I tell clients about, the the code is there for you to play with, but don't get greedy. Because at the end of the day, clients always think, oh, like they'll never know. Like, you know, that tick to like, oh, they'll never know. They'll never know. Yeah, they'll catch you when you're like on a beach drinking tequila at 45 years old. They'll take you, right? So like, don't ever think you're going to outsmart the IRS because you will never, it, they will catch you catch up to you. So what I will say with that is, I don't know how many properties you have, but let's say for me, okay, let's, let's just give an example of somebody. Let's just say Bob has two properties, has a W-2 job, and he's self-managing these properties, right? Buying a car is not a necessary expense for his two properties. The IRS would say, maybe we can ride the bus if you wanted to, right? So, but you have a car already and you're using it, let's say 25 to 50% of the time on business. You can use, you, that's a legitimate thing. Now your G wagon, absolutely not. I mean, if you already had the G wagon before that, okay, cool, you can. That's amazing. But most people start off with little cars and then they start adding it up. But uh, so you can start writing off the car now if it's a necessary expense. Now, if you're literally using a property manager, your properties are somewhere else. No. So when you think about deducting things, think about it as: Does this make sense? Can I, I always tell clients if I can represent you in court, I will do it. Once you have a three million dollar portfolio and you're a real estate investor and you're just flying everywhere like Grand Cardone, I would sit behind him and be like, he needed that plane.
0: Got it. So, and I was specifically talking about people that have cars now, right? Like, say they have four to five properties and they're you know, they say you drive there, I don't know, like five times a month. That's like about it though, that's only five. Maybe that's five business days out of what, 25 a, uh, a month or however there are in a month? It's
1: 20. So it's still 20. only like 25%.
0: Yeah. And, and what's the threshold? Do you have to get over
2: 50%? No, it can be anything. It's anything you think of. Like if it's 25%, that's a 25% deduction you're getting on your taxes that you weren't before. So there really isn't a threshold. It's for you to realize, hey, I use my business 25% of the time. I'm going to write this off, whether it's mileage or whether it's actual expenses, as long as it makes sense that it's an ordinary and ex- necessary expense, then write it off. So like a,
1: we essentially, this is full disclosure. We, we didn't keep good enough miles for this past year. And now we will for 2021. Cause we did, we did a lot of traveling towards the property that 25% number might be right in line with what we did. I didn't keep track of those miles. <laughs> to that
0: to the point, and, and I don't know if this is this back to the Stessa thing, but how do you, how does one mile IQ is good. Mile IQ, mm-hmm. but also like, I'm just thinking about in general, like can someone just write on a, in a notebook, Hey, drove to the property this day, he, this many miles X, Y, Z. And is that good enough to pass? Or do oh you need gosh. like an official, like in Excel, in Stasa, in mile IQ. It's good
1: you? enough unless you get audited. Right. Like, I, I mean, how no, does that-
2: I mean my dad, oh my gosh, he is, he literally has a notebook of like every day i'm like dad like use an app so the list will <laughs> represent me a core i'm like you're right you're old there's an app that's five dollars so yes to your point you could write it all day if you but want i it. could write oh, that God. that's
0: then that, it's, sorry it's blowing my mind i could sit and just write away Nah, yeah i drove here 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 and just log it whenever the hell i want and write it in different colors
1: proven reasonable though that's the thing like it has to. it, it well it's I don't just know. sketchy it
2: is i mean i think now when you get to that point in your head where you're like well i can definitely say that the g wagon was needed for akk um like now that you have to like rationalize it in your head it doesn't make sense i will tell you that mileage is one of the most um things that i'm really picky on because clients are like i drove twelve thousand miles i'm like no, you didn't. Nobody drives literally 12,000 miles. And if you get audited, you're going to be mad at me. But like you have no proof. So get my IQ. It's $5. And it goes on every time you go somewhere. And just swipe left and swipe right if it's business or personal. So yes, Good. but you can you can go back to fabricating anything, right? You can fabricate.
0: That's what's scary, so, right? Yeah. I, I don't know.
2: I, just, yeah, I, there I, the, a,
1: there, I had my IQ and I was using it for a while. And the reason I stopped is because I I forgot to check it for like, I don't know, 45 days, and I had like 260 yeah. trips that I had to like business, personal, business, personal. And I was like, ah, but it is really important. So I'm glad you brought that up. I'll probably re download it because it's needed. We were at the, we were at our prop, one of our properties 15 times this month. I mean, and that was you're for, just, that was for renovation stuff. Now we're not going there all, it wants the property stabilized, but yeah, it's, uh, but that's 2021. You're just leaving so was, money
2: so- on the table, like for what? Like for no reason, because you couldn't sit there and swipe left and right. I know. Like, I'm not saying you, but it's me too. Like, I'm like, Oh shoot. Oh, like, but I'm just leaving. To- <laughs> sucks. It's it's,
0: it goes back to systematizing your business. Right. And and mm-hmm. you already mentioned Stessa, you already mentioned my IQ. Can you just give us like, maybe those that's it. Right. But I'm just thinking other tools or tactics that you've seen investors use successfully that like can implement them in their bookkeeping just to, to make life simpler that maybe some of our listeners could use.
2: Yeah. So definitely mile IQ, $5. Anyone can afford that. Um, and it's so needed because if you really think about it, depending on the number of miles, that's 50, I think it went down, but let's just say 56 cents per mile. Okay. That's a deduction that you're not getting. Number two, QuickBooks. If you are doing flips, um, if you have a wholesaling business, I think it's great for that. That is a little more pricey. So, um, make sure that it's worth it. You know, you're going to get your return. Number three Stess is a great one. Avail allows me to send tenant uh, applications, do their background checks. They can do maintenance requests through there. So it's amazing. Um, And the last one, which will help everybody is Scanner for Me. It is a free application that you take pictures of things and it puts it into a PDF, not a JPEG, because nobody likes JPEGs. it's a PDF. You can send it to anybody and that's how you can keep track of your receipts. I think Stessa has a new thing that you can take receipts. But uh, pictures of the receipts, create a Gmail account that says coryreceipts at gmail.com. Take a picture of the receipts, send it. Do not have a bag of receipts.
1: We have a genius scan, which is the same thing, I think. And uh, we have a, a folder for receipts per property. And we just take pictures and we send it to email it and put it in there. So that, that, thank you for that because uh, genius changing. scan is seriously like it's it's a game changer.
0: Yeah, I would look up Genius Scan too because we we okay, swear by look. it and it's uh, it's it's free. So, but I'm definitely getting my IQ and starting. I'm, and we're getting Stessa. Yeah. I don't care. If we're getting it. So I
1: have Stessa. Yeah. Well, I don't. What
2: think it's right now. We're,
1: we're using uh well to keep our books. We're using uh Google Sheets, which I actually think it's like until I get until we get to twenty properties. Like I like running the numbers and and keeping it that way. I'm sure it's easier with Stessa. I just think it's. It's not, it hasn't become too difficult for, for us to do it.
0: Yeah. That's your system. Maybe been harder, not harder. There you go. So we're almost down to the, the end of the show, but I have one quick question for you before we dive in and people are going to be looking for CPAs after this. And I'd like you, if you could, to just go into like possible like interview questions that people could ask when they go into vet a CPA to know if they're good or not, or if they should use them in their real estate business or just in their regular life to benefit them like what should they stay away from what should they look for etc
2: so i definitely think that they should that clients should go with people who is in their niche right so whether you're a manufacturing whether you are in a restaurant business whether whatever realm of business you're in it's like a doctor right so let's say you're like oh i have a cough you go to the general doctor but then they're like oh there's something wrong with your throat then they take you to the throat or whatever the case, maybe you start at the most simple. And then once it gets bigger or more in depth, you go to that person. So that's exactly what the CPA. So find someone, whether it's a big firm, big firms have, you know, little departments or someone who just specializes in what you um, are doing. So ask them that question. Hey, do you specialize in Bitcoin? Because this is a huge thing. And if you don't know anything about it, which is so new, those are the great things. Number two, um, I guess when it comes to real estate, ask simple questions such as, hey, like what's a cost segregation? You should already know what it is, but if the person who you're interviewing has no idea what the cost segregation is, that's probably a problem. Real estate professional status, like people can say, hey, do I qualify as real estate professional status? That's a huge thing that CPAs who specialize in real estate should know. If they don't, nothing wrong with them. Just, I, I wouldn't put my trust in them, right? Um Number three is do not go for the cheapest CPA. You get what you pay for period at the end of the day. It's an investment. Um, so ask around. And if you say that someone charges you a dollar and someone charges you $10, two people charge you $10. If you go with the $1, that's the one kind of service you're going to get.
1: Absolutely. Great. I like that. Thank you for that advice. We appreciate it. The uh, second to last segment of our show is called the core four. And we really went into detail in this episode. So I, I appreciate that. But this is a little bit more personal about you specifically. And um, we want to get to know you and, and kind of maybe what makes you tick here. So first question is, what's your favorite investing, tax, maybe tax-related, uh, or business book?
2: So for me right now, I will say, we'll take tax-related or just business. I'm going to go with business. And I think the one that changed my life really. And I think a lot of investors, what's rich dad, Poor dad, that's number one. But if you guys have not read the other, the second version, which is, it's not the second version, it's called why the rich stay richer. I think that's what the title is. It literally explains to you how, and it's by Robert, it's amazing about the taxes because rich dad, Poor dad kind of like digs in a little bit and why the rich stay richer just takes it to another level. That opened my mind to realize that, that we're just here and we need to play the game.
1: Very cool. Because I read rich dad, poor dad. I mean, everyone, almost everyone that I know who's an investor has, and then cashflow flow Ca- quadrant I read, but I don't even, I didn't even know about um, why,
2: why the rich. rich are getting richer. See ESL why the rich are getting richer. You got me. I was looking it up.
0: So, <laughs> I, and I've also heard cash flow quadrant by him is awesome too. So there's a couple, he is like a bunch in the, I guess it's the, um, the rich, rich dad, dad, dad family. Series, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, Cool. Thank you for that. We haven't got that one yet. So that's awesome. So second question for you is what's been your biggest mistake that you made in your career and how have you learned from it?
2: It's hard to talk about this one. I think it's always caring what other people say, number one, and two not being confident in myself. I think I was always doubting myself when I started. And even I think we all do, right? We're like, Oh, I don't, I don't know if I know this right And now just like all like our mentors and those people who are so much around, it's like, you're just going to pretend your way and you're going to figure it out. So people are going to take, and I think that goes with people, um, what they think about me, because now I'm going to walk in any room and be confident. And then if you ask me a question, I'm like, that's a great question. You know what? Let me get back to you. I have no idea, but I'm going to figure it out.
1: People really respect that. I found just in business that we, that I've, the, you know I've only been in business the business world for you know under a decade, but I've learned that people really respect the honesty of "I'll get back to you with an answer, even if you don't know it. And the confidence that you're talking about comes from preparation. So the more you're prepared, the more you study, the more you learn, the more confidence you have. So it's very cool,
0: yeah. I- I'm thinking of a lot of different things here. One would be like imposter syndrome, right? In the beginning where you don't think you're good enough or you don't think you're you're mm-hmm. going to be respected in this place whether you're young or you're just beginning like that happens with investors or anyone in their in their first job or their career, right? And then also talking about faking it till you make it. And there's, there is something to that. I don't know if I totally agree with faking it all the way, but it's, it's taking it Someone presents you with an opportunity and you just say yes. And then you learn how to do it along the way, because you might not be presented with an opportunity like that again. So I just think to your point and, and you can bounce back and forth between imposter syndrome and fake it till you make it, but just life begins outside of your comfort zone. So just try things and you're going to learn along the way. And then look at you now, like you're probably not as concerned what people think and you're respected in the space. So I think it's awesome.
2: Thank you. I agree.
1: 100%. Cool. The third question uh, of our core four is who is your who for 2021? And by meeting this person, you feel that your life or business will be propelled to the next level. Maybe you have somebody that you've thought about that you wanted to either get introduced to, or that, that might help your business. And if you don't have somebody in mind that you haven't met, maybe who is somebody that you have met in the past couple of years that has helped you get to the stage that you're at now?
2: So I will definitely give a huge shout out to my coach, Brandon Hall. Um, he has pushed me to a different level in my business that I don't know where I would be here without him. And I think that just like the confidence and just knowing how to run my business, I think people who think I used to be like, Oh, I don't need anybody. Right. Like we always like, our pride is so big that finding someone who like why reinvent the wheel when someone that i admire has already done it like let me go and find exactly what he's doing so i definitely give a huge shout out to brandon
1: and that's a that's a business coach that you have is that what you said
2: yeah he's also he's actually i'm going to give him a shameless plug but he is the real estate cpa he's a guy so if you ever want to have him on here, he's amazing. Um, that's the only one I allow you to have as a CPA. <laughs> just okay, kidding. okay. Ah, so no,
0: gonna
1: be mad in a couple you. weeks, but. No, <laughs> no. All right. He's no, that's great, great. that, uh, no, that kidding, was a good yeah. who. I, I, I think he'll be, uh, he'll be happy that you re- shouted him out there.
0: He'll be happy to be on the show. So, um, <laughs> last one for you. I'm just messing around. This one's more of a, a personal one, like a thinker. What do you want your legacy to be?
2: Oh gosh, that's, For me, it's always been about education. Um, so even when I, the reason why I actually started my firm was to help my Hispanic community learn the business and the tax aspect. We're so hard, everyone's hardworking, right? But there wasn't someone who was helping them educate themselves. I think there, so for me, as, as long as I can bring all the education out to people, whether they come to me as their CPA or not. I just want them to know that they don't teach you this in school. You need to educate yourselves. And I just want them helping to the next level.
0: Amazing. That's awesome. That's awesome. So the last segment of our show is The Last Drop. And with this, we want to know, what advice would you give your younger self if you could go back in time and do things differently?
2: Quit my nine to five right away. I would have started my business a long time before, um, waited that long. And the second thing is get a coach or a mentor since day one, whether whatever business, I think that's for everybody.
1: I love that advice because it's just so cool to hear different perspectives on what people think that, would work for them. And a lot of people don't want to spend the money on a coach. And you're saying the amount of money or business return essentially that you've gotten from it is clearly tenfold and you would have recommended doing it sooner. So I think about it all the time. I'm like, man, I think a coach could take me or Ryan and I to the next level. And we haven't gone down that road yet, but we have interviewed a number of them. So very cool that you said that yeah
0: steve Rosenberg's not allowing us not to have a coach pretty much yeah as, he, yeah he, as you know it's
2: because it puts you like out of your comfort zone like when they tell you something you're like oh i don't want to do that and then you do and you're like oh my gosh why didn't i do this a year ago like i will pay all the money in the world for you to put me out of- right now i'm so comfortable like i love this right so i think that's why we're scared because um like comfort scares or discomfort scares people or whatever
0: yeah it's interesting i think like when you say coach it actually we already talked about this in a previous previous episode, but it like, I think about growing up and like playing sports and you don't know what you don't know. Right. And like, they've been through certain things and like, they push you out of your comfort zone. Hey, try this. And you're like, I don't want to do that. And you're like, no, you literally have to, it's part of the drill, go do it. And then you do it. And you're like, Oh, that wasn't that bad. Or like, Oh, I'm pretty damn good at this. And like, there's certain things where it's like, once you're forced outside your comfort zone, something in the human body or brain or whatever it is, like it holds you back, whether it's that fear or it's that, that comfort. Right. And you're just like, Oh no, I'm good. Like I'll get there eventually. I don't know. Maybe I'll read about it. Or maybe I'll do something about it. But like when someone literally shoves it down your throat and throws you into the fire, you're like, okay, I have to do this. Or like I'm
2: in it right now.
0: So they're the
2: only ones who are going to push you. You're not, I mean, you're not going to sit here and have self enough control to be like, yeah, no, you're going to need a Steve Rosenberg. Who's going to be like next week when I talk to you, you have better jumped off the building. You're like, Oh my God, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. It's an accountability partner, but also it's, it's Mm -hmm. just kind of actually almost funny to think about. We had coaches our whole lives and now we just don't have one in the biggest game we've ever played. Like, I mean, I, don't know. I was Mike. <laughs>
1: wow.
0: I think we all just learned something. Let's go. <laughs> no, <I'm> just <laughs> but seriously, <laughs> that it cool. is... I, I really love that answer. So, um, uh, you know, I guess you and Steve are kind of forcing Corey and I here to get a coach soon. So we'll, uh, we'll follow back up with you on it.
2: Yeah. Let me know.
1: Cool. Uh, well, first of all, Anna, we really appreciate you coming on. We, we thought that that was that was the most in depth that we've talked about taxes by far. I think there's a lot for people to learn here, uh, and maybe learn from you. So if there if people want to get in touch with you, maybe you know once your wait list is uh, is is lifted lifted, they maybe maybe you're looking for more <laughs> clients in the future. Um, what's the best way for people to reach out to you if you if you like?
2: Thank you so much, guys. So the best way is go follow my Instagram page at Anna KCPA, just one N. Um, that is the best way to get in touch with us. Cause you can get to our website, fill out a questionnaire. As you guys mentioned, we just do have, we're just stopping right now so we can get my back office, um, in order, but in June, we'll be back to tax planning, which is everybody should be doing, whether it's with me or your CPA.
0: Awesome. We'll definitely send everybody to you. Great episode. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure getting to know you. And seriously, you taught Corey and I a lot tonight. So we can't wait to implement no, this. No, you in guys did life.
2: too. I'm so glad that I met you guys. And I'm sure we'll be in touch. And anything you guys need for me, please let me know.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much.